Hello, welcome to the People in the Dark podcast. This episode is all about the Stephen King book, Rose Madder, and it's a discussion with uh, author James the Faber, who wrote a book called Books of Sarah, uh, which we'll also uh, talk about. The two books are quite um, a similar sort of subject matter. They're both very much centred around um, domestic abuse and domestic violence. Uh, so I guess take that as a as a warning. I just wanted to briefly set up Rose Madder as well, because in the podcast we just kind of dive straight in and jump around the plot all over the place. But it's, it was written in 1995, uh, Stephen King, and I don't think it's one of his best regarded books. Uh, I thought it was really, I quite really enjoyed it, but it was, it, as I say in the podcast, it was the first one of his I've read, first fiction book of Stephen King's I've read. Um, we'll get into that. So it's about this woman, Rosie, who leaves her husband, who is, um, because he's abusive and she kind of goes on the run and it's kind of about her kind of finding a new life, but also him trying to track her down. And then it has this, really quite unusual fantasy element and that kind of starts to take over as the as the book goes on and um yeah that that i think is the part that that put off a lot of Stephen king fans because it's quite a it's quite a broad fantasy section i suppose but it's um yeah as i say coming to this completely fresh i quite enjoyed it so um uh yeah so that's that's the uh that's set up for the book i think this is one of the things i quite like about talking to horror people and horror authors is I mean, generally, people who are into horror and and write about awful, terrible things tend to be the loveliest people. And <laughs> sort of, uh, I think it's very true here that we have a very kind of light, well, very light-hearted chat about some quite serious and awful subjects. Uh, so, yeah, it's definitely something I noticed when I was read, editing it. And particularly with me, like I think I tend to, I tend to laugh as a. Um, yeah, I guess there's a kind of defense mechanism when we're talking about stuff, as I've just done now, because I feel a bit awkward. Uh, no, talking about anything slightly dark or a bit disturbing. That's so, But yeah, please take it for me that I'm not laughing at the subject of domestic violence, which is obviously awful. But it's um, it was just sort of laughing nervously as we had a very light-hearted chat about some very dark subjects. I hope I've covered myself okay there probably unnecessarily uh yeah what's quite interesting about about uh, james's book books of sarah is the it's got this kind of dual narrative and and uh, james talked a bit about how he kind of got his head around that by using different playlists which i thought was really interesting we also talk a bit about writing dialogue and then later later on there was a bit i almost got it out because it couldn't be kind of, kind of gone on, on a tangent about home invasion and found footage films uh but i left it all in because i think th- again it's quite an interesting chat and we sort of reference some interesting films so that's all at the end yeah i'll catch up with you then before we get started as always i'm just going to remind you that my book astaroth is available on amazon still i'd really appreciate it if you'd enjoy this podcast even if you never read the book well but do read the book it's really good <laughs> if, if you if you buy it and then leave me a review that'd be fantastic and also this podcast as well i'm still getting my head around how podcasts work but i'd note that if you listen to this on spotify if you could give it a, a rating that would be fantastic if it's going to be a good rating if it's going to be a bad rating maybe don't bother and obviously itunes if, if itunes still exists i know itunes is sort of a bit up in the air or apple podcasts if you can review it on there and i think everywhere else if you just like subscribe or follow it on stitcher and and so on that'd be great too um but yeah thanks very much for that and i'll come back at the end for a brief chat then as well thank you 
Yeah, so you chose Rose Madder as well. You mentioned that Rose Madder was one of your main kind of influences. Yeah. I just, I go back to like, one more thing that's interested in is when how people first discover things like that. So do you remember when you first read that book? Do you know what I do, actually? It's it's one of my earliest Stephen King books that I remember reading. Um, okay. I'm, I'm very much of the age where, as long as I was reading a book, my mum was happy. She did not care what the book was. So I right. was reading stuff that really I should not have been reading at like 13, 14 I think I read Richard Lehman's Endless Nights when I was like 13 and it traumatized me for right. afterwards. But with Rose Madder, she knew that I'd liked horror books mm-hmm. and she bought it for me. She just randomly got it for like, I think it was my 14th, 15th birthday. And she was like, oh, it's from that guy that you really like. Yeah. And I, I didn't have the heart to say, like, I don't really know who Stephen King was at this point. Mm. But I remember reading it and it, I absolutely loved it. It was, I think because it's not it's not his most horror, horror book either. It, yeah. It's one of those ones that he did, like like a Dolores Claiborne, where there's no no real horror to it. It's just the stuff that they're having to to go through kind of thing. And yeah. it had that that gold cover with the credit cards where the the husband's face is changing into a minotaur across the like the, the across the three. I've I think I've seen still, that. Yeah, I've got I've still got my copy from right. when I was a teenager because I took really good care of it and I just don't throw away books. So it, it was like kind of like my introduction to Stephen King and and everything like that. I remember finishing it, having my little brain blown, and then instantly running out and buying loads of his other books. And then that just sort of started like a lifelong Stephen King obsession. Really, I think anyone if you're into horror, you've you've read a good few of the the Stephen King mm. books, and, I mean, and that that was the one for me. Right, right. It's interesting because I I actually haven't read many Stephen King books. Oh and really? I and I don't know why. So I've read this one for the for the podcast. Yeah. Uh, but this is actually the first fiction book of his because I'd read uh, Dance Macabre, his, his book about like horror fiction. That's yeah, that's uh, really. Yeah, and 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 I'd read his book about writing, but those yeah. those are the only two. <laughs> so, really? Wow. I see. Because I'm such a fan, I just assume like, oh, everyone's read Stephen King. How could they not? <laughs> I, I think this is why because I think when and this is wrong. This is not a right opinion. I think when I was a teenager, when I was really into, particularly reading horror, which was was sort of my probably similar age actually when I was yeah. sort of mostly from a sort of teenagers uh, I think I was a bit of a snob and so yeah. I suspect I mean looking back I'm like did I I probably dismissed it like oh everyone's reading Stephen King so I'm not going to read that yeah. just to be a bit edgy yeah. and different I'm not um, but having having read uh, Road Badder this week I was like well maybe that was a mistake because <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's very good I I was really shocked I I I've always held Rose Madder quite like high up in in like my like, list of Stephen King books and then I remember not long after I'd kind of wandered onto the internet quite a few years later when it was still on dial up and I went to like a forum and even now it's it's not well thought of as out of all of his books it's generally quite like a trashed novel of Stephen King so many people mm. straight up don't enjoy it which for me is baffling I'm like oh this is definitely this is one of his better ones that he's written it's got a good ending which I know is something yes. he, he, it's a bit of a point of contention for a lot of Stephen King fans that he can't mm. really end up brilliantly whereas with that I thought it had a really good ending and then I went online and found out everyone hates it I was like oh no not maybe not one of my favorite books yeah yeah that's a weird thing about the internet isn't it that suddenly these things 
these sort of works of art get put into a context that you weren't aware of yeah. at the time because yeah. um, I don't think I think even he doesn't necessarily regard it as one no of he doesn't even bit. like it that much I think it was that in Dreamcatcher or is it Insomnia right. I, think I think it's Insomnia, it Insomnia. Yeah, he, he doesn't sort of said, really like yeah. I mean Insomnia's not definitely not one of his better ones but I'm a big right. fan of um, the Dark Tower series that he wrote Right, and they both tie quite heavily into the Dark Tower so mm-hmm. for me I, I quite like them just because of, of the links to his other series of books but then if the writer isn't even a big fan I mean he wrote Tommy Knockers and he, <laughs> he doesn't hate on Tommy Knockers that much, <laughs> <Right. so. laughs> I mean did it when you kind of went and read his his other books did did having read road matter first sort of color that experience in any way because it's, it's i mean again i don't know but it seems yeah. like it's quite different it's yeah well i went from rose matter i think it was and then i think i went to pet cemetery which was a complete tonal shift and it right. absolutely shocked the living daylights out of me because i think with a writer you kind of get used to to how they write and oh this mm-hmm. is the kind of story that they tell and Rose Madder is such a different different sort of story to, to a lot of the other ones that he tells from Pet, to Pet Cemetery it, it was a lot more horror than Rose Madder was Rose Madder kind right. of falls into that like horror fantasy sort of like like there's not that much yeah. horror horror in it whereas Pet Cemetery is just straight up it's a horror it's a straight up horror novel yeah yeah i mean i think what i find interesting about rose matter is is the the horror in it in a way is because there is like a there's a a sort of big fantasy sequence kind of in the middle yeah some real kind of horror imagery stuff in it um and then towards the end but the character of of norman so who's in the in the book is the sort of abusive husband yeah kind of tracked down his, his wife is i mean he's a real really awful character like yeah, not, awful, awful not badly human. written <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah like like sort of i don't i don't again i don't know if it's even king to know if this is based on any kind of research or anything but it reminded me the way he describes norman and the, the way norman acts reminded me a lot of uh, like ted bundy and yeah there's something really like they, they kind of hint that he is quite an attractive man as well mm. don't they like there's that whole bit that really uncomfortable bit where he's crushing somebody's testicles on yes. the park bench um and it is it's like it's he's got that like a lore of of like ted bundy or something yeah. like that to him um i don't know much like about the research that went into it or anything like that but he, he is he's he's one of those sort of characters i think where it, it's all about the outside appearance not quite matching up with with obviously what he's like because he's a cop and instantly you think oh cops that are good guys and i think that's one thing i quite liked about the character of norman as much as you can like a character like norman is that he is completely the opposite to what is being portrayed to everybody around him but you don't get to see the good stuff with him in terms of the story until he completely drops the mask like when he gets to the shelter and he's hunting all the women down to try and get rosie and Mm. The, one of the characters that was in that, that I didn't discover until I think it was years later when I was reading The Regulators, is in one of his other stories. And that okay. that kind of ties into the whole, he's created this whole universe within all of his books, which I think it's the, I think her name's Cynthia. Um, she's like the punk pink-haired girl uh, yes yeah, yeah, yeah. she's in um, The Regulators and it's Desperation, which are two books. 
with right. the exact same characters but totally different stories but mm-hmm. the same kind of end result and she's in them as well and right, it wasn't until right. years later that i kind of started reading that and then I, I got onto the whole he'd created this whole expanded universe and my little mind was just blown when i read that because right, right. up till then i'd never really read anything where it was a massive ongoing series or characters dipped in and out of each other's i know like a lot of my friends were into um, terry pratchett's and they were a lot more that time that was quite common for them but i never had anything mm. like that in in the horror books that i sort of used to read at the time so it was another one of those books i'm like oh even further down the line it's still managing to surprise me when i haven't read right. it in years and that so it's weirdly one of those books that kind of keeps popping up which considering how much i like stephen king and his work as a fan it's a nice treat like it's like a reward for being his fan for 20 odd years to be honest i really i feel like this isn't something i knew about stephen king until until like fairly recently about yeah. this sort of like because even in even in right matter they mention uh the misery books yeah a few times i mean is that a thing in all of the stephen king books they all, the misery just saying books are mentioned right like, they're like a, like a re- recurring book that people will read or they're right, on, on sale mm-hmm. but even one of my my, my favorite all-time series is the dark tower right. books that you wrote rose madder ties into that because of the wastelands that they're into so that ties okay. into the dark tower there's cynthia who's from the regulators and desperation then like you mm. said there's the misery stuff but then paul sheldon's mentioned in one of his other books or someone will mention events that have happened in cujo and like they all there's the they're not like if you don't know the the other stories you don't miss you're not missing out but if you mm. do know them they're like these little nods to his fans like oh look this this is happening like 20 minutes up the road from where a giant saint bernard attacked somebody kind of thing and it, it's a nice right. little treat as a as a fan to have these things where you kind of go oh i know what you're talking about there and like yeah oh, look yeah. At that. yeah yeah no it's yeah no it's cool yeah it's, it works really well like is it a book that you've kind of revisited over the yeah. years or right yeah. right I, I i used to not so much now because my, my my pile of books that i want to read through is just right magically out of control mm. i used to kind of do a reread of the dark tower once every three four years and okay. i'd do like my poor husband would just roll his eyes i do like a full read through which is where i'd read the seven books right but i'd read all the other books that tied mm-hmm. into it so that i could just really enjoy the whole whole universe again and rose matter yeah. falls under the umbrella so it's one that i would i've honestly read it about five or six times i think oh, from wow. cover to cover uh that and salem's lots as well because they tie quite heavily into the dark tower series so okay. i normally do those two quite back to back because for some reason they just they seem to go together for me quite well right. as as kind of like separate stories that have no real bearing to each other but when i'm reading them they're the two that i'll i'll read either before and after each other or i'll just read those two and then I'll think, all oh, right, well, time to move on to the actual Dark Tower series now. Right. To me, this uh, Rose Madder seems an incredibly, like it's dealing with quite like adult themes, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> Obviously, it's a horror book, but also like it's sort of, it feels quite quite a grown up horror book. Yeah. Like, I guess what by that, I mean, it's not like a, he's a, he's a scary monster going around killing people. Like, yeah. It's, it's um, I mean, do you remember sort of, like has your perception of it changed like yeah especially as i got older um i think when i first read it i was a bit too young to to fully grasp 
kind of like the the, the sadness almost yeah. in the story because yeah. it, it's just poor poor Rosie. It's just it's all really tragic and it's all especially them first first couple of chapters where you you see her life and she's yeah, having like yeah. I think with the, the first chapter I think it's it's where she's having the miscarriage and I understood it in theory when I was a yeah. teenager, but then I think when I was in my twenties, I reread it and it just hit really differently because I was married by that point and I had a partner right. yeah, myself yeah. and mm-hmm. my, my life experiences had changed me as a reader to the point when I was reading that I, I was, I was more into her story and, and the pain mm-hmm. that she was feeling because it was more, more concrete because I'd had a friend who'd been in an abusive relationship by that point. So it was almost like a lot more relatable as yeah. an adult than it was when when I was a teenager. As a teenager, you can read Pet Cemetery because it's monsters or it's zombies yeah. and, you know, that that's the clear-cut villain. Whereas as an adult, when you read something like Rose Maddy, you're like, well, that is the villain, but it's not as obvious to, to people yeah. that that's the bad guy right there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, like the opening scene is horrific. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's sort of really grim. And I think that's probably a good uh, thinking about your book, uh, Books of Sarah, like, yeah. also opens on a fairly horrific kind of scene. It wasn't really, it's it sort of daft as this sounds. It, when, when I got the email from you and you were like, you know, like, I want to, like, what were some of your inspirations? And, mm. It, it really kind of jumped straight to my head. It's like, oh my God, Rose Madder really right, was right. like a big driving force because there's that, that, I think it's, it's the second chapter where she's looking at this little drop of blood on the bed yes. and she had yeah, this yeah, revelation yeah. like, well, one day mm. he's going to kill me and what if he doesn't? And when I was writing books mm. of Sarah, part of that, part of the, like, the inspiration for the story was like, well, what would have happened if she'd stayed? Like that, that was almost like my take on his story like this this is what right. poor rosie would have been subject obviously it's it's it gets a lot worse for for, for sarah than it does <laughs> well, it's for, for rosie but it was mm. quite a big inspiration for me of that sadness and finding hope in other ways that that rosie manages to in her story whereas so there's some parallels with how sarah goes off and gets her own strength throughout her ordeal in the novel as well yeah yeah well i guess one of the, what, what happens in rose matter is is we there was a big time jump at the beginning yeah sort of where you kind of and in your book we sort of go through a lot of the awful things <laughs> in the relationship and that yeah. kind of uh sort of and just yeah see it getting gradually gradually worse but what i think what i think is really interesting i mean i don't know if you uh it, it might be worth actually just I kind of briefly summarising what Books of Sarah is about. It's um, it's like a, a Lovecraftian horror story set in Liverpool about a woman called Sarah, and it chronicles her life through about 15 years of marriage to her high school sweetheart. But whilst this these diary entries are progressing and telling her story, there's a story intercuts about a man called Grant who wakes up naked in a bedroom with no idea of how he got there. And every time he goes through a door to leave that room, he ends up right back in the same room that he he was in previously and has to deal with some pretty gruesome stuff before the doors unlock and he gets to go through the whole nightmare again. It's kind of like a reoccurring nightmare for him and it ties very heavily into Sarah's tale as it's unfolding. And I think what's what what works really well, that kind of abuse plot kind of sounds similar, but I think what's what's really different about the two between Rosemadder and, and your book is uh, like Rosemadder has, has this almost like thriller 
plot where it's more suspense i suppose where the compelling part of it is that you're hoping that norman doesn't catch up yeah with rose i think what was compelling about books of sarah for me was the the connection between and i'm not going to ruin or spoil anything yeah. <laughs> um, and try and try and avoid spoilers you have these two as you described these two very separate stories and a sort of vague connections established fairly early on but it's uh, certainly what 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 hooked me and made me keep turning the pages was how are these two things connected and that the mystery of that i found sort of really uh really fascinating and really well handled i thought i thought the way you did that was really really quite clever because it's not it's so hard not to just i don't know reveal too much or yeah um but the way information was kind of drip fed throughout uh particularly on grant side but then but then you need the uh, well also on sarah's side as well i don't know it's really yeah it's really, um yeah something really, i was really conscious of of when i was writing it was to try and make sure that they both did feed into each other without mm. it being like boom here you go but i also wanted to make sure it felt like an organic linking of the two the two stories so that as right. things progress you start to kind of start going like is is it this or or am i am i just imagining that or that thing in chapter three did that actually tie in or was that just a completely throwaway sort of line and it was something i did think of especially when i went through the second edit of the book i i i realized that hang on there's not as much of a linking going on so i went back in and i put a couple of other little bits in to just sort of tie because i'd written the story then so even i i understood where where i was going because it was a little bit in the middle where when i was writing i just kind of wandered off um Mm. but when i was re-editing it it was a nice chance for me to kind of bring it back in together and and tidy them up and tie them together a little bit a little bit tidier together and that and how did you write those like did you write it from page one to the end or did you write the sort of sarah bits and then the I, I did bit, page or? page one to the end to right, be honest. Okay. So I had two very, very separate playlists for when I was writing mm-hmm. the two separate chapters. Um right. so the books of Sarah was was very heavily sponsored by the likes of Sarah McLaughlin and Dido right, okay. and the women mm-hmm. of Lilith Fair. So there was a lot of like quite emotional, very female centric music. And then mm. when I was writing a lot of the grant stuff, um it was a lot of movie soundtracks actually. So like the Candyman soundtrack is forever oh, okay. on my Spotify playlist now because yeah. I listened to it so much because it, they were two very different headspaces because they feel very much like two separate stories because mm. um, obviously one's got a lot more of like a, a sort of supernaturally Lovecraft monsters kind of vibe and then there's yeah. the very real Sarah stuff so I needed to be in two very different headspaces so I'd, I'd finish one chapter and I'd, I'd have to kind of take myself off and finish writing for the day because I couldn't jump from one to the other I'd have to to have like a day's break in between because it was two different sort of mindsets for for when I was doing the two separate stories right right okay no, that's, that's interesting and I think it definitely comes across you can sort of they almost feel like what really works is that the, obviously Sarah's story is written in a diary form but it does feel like these are two separate written by two separate people like they're, yeah they're sort of um yeah that works works really well and i think that um, was something i tried to really do with, especially with the sarah chapters because i didn't want it to be sensational and gratuitous for the sake of i, I, I very much mm. like, when when my editor sent it back to me the first time that there's there's a specific bit in book four with 
with tomato soup and mm-hmm. he'd just circled the whole thing and <laughs> nope nope too right. far 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 too far and i emailed him and i was like oh i i thought out of the whole book that that i mean i know it's a bad scene but i didn't think it was the breaking point for him and he said you know i could handle a lot of the other stuff but that scene in particular it just felt really really gratuitous yeah. so i read it back and i had one of those moments when you're like well have I gone too far? Like it, it's such an awful moment for for the character of Sarah. So mm. I sent it out to a couple of beta readers, and and the feedback was was a lot more positive. I think I sent it to ten people. Eight of them said, "Understand it." Like, yeah, it's awful. It's a horrible scene, but it mm. does serve the story because it's a big catalyst for her within her own story to to kind of start making changes. Right. And then the other people that came back said, yeah, no, it's it's too much for me. And even on a lot of the reviews that I've had since, this is the one scene that, that a lot of people seem to it sort of make or breaks them when they're when they're reading the book. But I do I stand by it. It's one of those things that it needed to happen mm. without it being sensationalized. Like it wasn't just the violence towards her. It was this complete degradation. Of, yeah. of her character to make her sort of wake up and have that well what if he doesn't kill me kind of moment that that rose madder has in in her story yes, yeah yeah very different it just took a lot longer for for sarah to have it and it was a very different way done but it's that moment where i think a lot of abuse victims have that moment of oh god i've, I've got to make the change i've got to get out and mm. mine just happened to have to involve a, a tin of tomato soup really <laughs> <laughs> I think I think horror sort of um, almost it's similar to comedy in a way that like different people are scared by different things. Yeah. And and those people and also well also depends a lot on context. I think I think I think a lot of it depends on your own kind of experiences and your own sort of. um, I mean, I know some people who 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 are absolutely can't deal with sort of anything vomit related at all. And I think I'm not sure they would make it through. But then, yeah, it's sort of um, yeah, it's interesting what some people will kind of go. Oh no, that's that's too far. And, yeah. And, and yeah, but I think you're right. Like I think it is it is a key scene. You do need. And what works about it is it is it's so sort of it's quite out there. And I mean it's, it's awful, but it's it's a scene that we've not seen in anything else. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very unique. I mean, I'll take that. Like, that I'll yes. take that as a card. I might put that on the cover. It contains a scene not seen anywhere else. I mean, yeah. I'll I'll happily take that. <laughs> yeah, but I think that I think that's what makes it yeah stand out because then it becomes it becomes a as it becomes a standout moment for Sarah, it becomes a standout moment for the reader as well book, like, yeah. yeah we spoke a bit about about norman in rose better one of the things with him is we don't really get to see like like from the moment he's introduced he's like a monster straight away i mean he's already yeah. a horrific sort of abuse scene from page one and the the husband in books of sarah is it, is it michael michael I mean, yeah yes right yes what i really liked about him is there's there's, there's this sort of uh transformation that happens in a way where i think particularly in the first book where he's this sort of yeah really nice like seems the ideal yeah kind of person and then and then it's like someone's flipped the switch like um it just it just kind of goes 
it was the wedding for me. I knew I knew obviously when I was going to write it like mm. this man, the baton, but I wanted it to be about that sense of ownership more than anything. So he wanted to to own her. That that's right from the second that they actually get married, he right. was able to drop the facade because she's got the ring then and she is essentially his property there was a, a movie i used to i watched quite a few years ago called um sleeping with the enemy it's got julia julia roberts in it oh, yeah yeah, and, Patrick Bergen. yeah 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 um and it, it's a similar sort of thing where he he's lovely during the dating and then as soon as they get married mm. that's when he becomes this this sort of monster and it's that idea of, of like ownership and well i control you now so he was able to do what he wanted by that point and he couldn't even he obviously doesn't even wait till he gets home does it? it's straight yeah. away as soon as as soon as they're in reception she mm. realizes like oh god I've, I've made a terrible mistake but she's young and she's headstrong and there was no way she was going to go running back to her mom and dad to, to sort of complain about it so i wanted it to be i wanted the i wanted the reader to to kind of go oh you know young love they're only young and they've got that nightclub scene and it's mm. quite relatable we've all been on a, a bad night out with a mate and you know he he sort of has this nice moment with her and then from the second that their, their relationship takes the next step he unlet levels this this new part of himself that turns out to be the real him the him yeah. that's with her the rest of the book because he doesn't really change much i tried to give him little moments throughout where you know you can see that he is aware that he's he's a nasty horrible man but mm. but point their relationship they're, they're both quite damaged people by i think it's like four or five by five or six i think it is when he has this moment when he's on the bed talking to her like i know i'm a monster at times but i don't mean to be mm. but she, she's completely hardened to him by that point so yeah it, it, that's it he's killed off any any love that she'd ever be able to have for him ever again kind of thing and i think especially going back to the likes of rose madder where she had to find her own strength throughout the book mm. that's what sarah does but she just does it stuck in the the prison that, that yeah. that's been created for her whereas rose got to do it and then she has that beautiful scene in the in rose madder where she gets to chase him through the labyrinth and stuff yeah. like that mm. um which is a nice moment for her to show her own strength and obviously without spoilers sarah kind of gets her own version of that much closer to the end of the book where where she's very much aware of the the strength and power that she's got as a as a woman and as a character through her own belief basically and by realizing god i've survived years yeah. at this point there's not a whole lot else he can actually do to me now i find it played into that there's this idea of like men kind of doing I didn't say he's as a man, but doing yeah. like, uh, doing whatever they like, but putting on this mask yeah. to be like, well, I'm this person specifically to get a thing, to get what, well, yeah. to get a person, but to explain yeah. that person, I think that works really well. It reminded me of there's a really good um, uh, there's a film called Dawn that uh, Rose McGowan made. It's like a, it's a short film. I think it's on YouTube, but there's a mo it's a it's, it's got this really great moment where this guy just sort of switches and it's it's a short so that's sort of what the whole film's about is just this this transformation of this guy who's pretending to be a nice normal guy and yeah. then he's and it, it the, the transformation is physical but also his, his voice changes like it's sort of and you go oh yeah that's I can see it, there's a sort of I think there's a reality to that and actually uh, yeah. that's something I wanted to ask about actually is there was there's a few moments 
that I wondered if whether it would come out of research or from talking to people like the the moment where she goes to get a haircut so that he can't grab it anymore. Yeah. Was that, was that based on sort of real yeah, story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 she'd kill me if I don't mention it, but the actual hairdresser herself is based on a very real person that I know. Okay. Um, she's like a, a friend of friend of the family, and she is this larger than life character. And right. I needed like a thing. I needed somebody to talk to her and give her that like little moment about the dogs coming to the banquet mm. and what have you. But with the actual the the haircut moment, I did quite a bit of research on like domestic abuse and mm. i came from quite an abusive childhood myself so right, growing up right. i remember the moment of because obviously i've got quite a lot of curly hair mm. cut my, myself cutting my hair short because it does it is right. that thing so when i was writing mm. it it was it was quite a pivotal moment it's, it's kind of like even in horror films you know, have your final girl moment where they, they mm. kind of go through the change that that moment for me in the story marks quite a, a shift in her character and it, it there was a lot of research a lot of like again because it's such a a, a delicate subject to write about especially as a man i mm. wanted to make sure that it was handled with a very real eye to the detail not yeah. just oh here's a domestic abuse story without the emotion that goes into it or here's like a, a sexual abuse story without any of the the thought process behind why it's happening it there was all everything that happens to sarah uh, happens for a reason to further the sort of story along right down to her chopping all her hair off it, yeah. it was it was her kind of i'm not that it she goes back to being sarah matthews she goes back to her kind of like her maiden character she even her writing style in the diaries kind of takes a step back to go into the earlier entries rather than those those ones where i think books three and four you, you kind of her, her language is really sad and there's a lot more pain and emotive language mm. used whereas after she's had her hair chopped the entries become a lot lot stronger and a lot more mm. yes yeah, she's going through these awful situations but she's very aware of it it's not breaking her almost as much as it used to because she right. she's she's strengthened herself up as a character because i think she says like the buffet is closed and that that was her defining moment to go well this is going to end one of two ways and i'm happy with with either outcome really right and, and it was it, there was a lot of people that i spoke to that said like especially when they've left a partner mm. if they've been in an abusive relationship a big haircut ch- helps them change it's right, shedding right. that old persona that old person that they were in that relationship and that 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 moment for me it was quite a pivot it was up there with the soup scene where right, yeah, it had yeah. to happen because the character needed that she had to have that moment and then again she cuts it all off near the end of the book again when she yeah. she is ready for for everything that's coming so the hair was almost like a symbolic thing for me, yeah. when I was writing Sarah, like where she is as a character, because she started to let it grow out again in one of the other books so that she could, because she was just getting overwhelmed with everything. And then when she's ready to really stand her ground, that's it. It's all chopped off. And then the final book happens. Right. Yeah. 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 No, it's good. I think it works really well. That 
even there are these it's full of like the really nice little details i think with the hair there's a bit where she remembers her i think her mum getting a haircut and her dad not not noticing or something yeah. kind of whine about that and it's little details like that they're really going oh yeah this is yeah this is important to her and 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 sort of yeah ties it all together so yeah i suppose looking at the other the other kind of aspects of the of the book the, the sort of the story that takes place in the in the in the series of rooms because well you mentioned in the and when you emailed me about uh a cube uh being, oh, yeah, being, cube. Being as well which I, i'll be honest i haven't seen that film for a long time i think that's where the cinema when it, it came out but, it's, it's, um, it's, i don't even i think i watched it a few years ago and you know it's just not aged brilliantly to oh, no. be fair. It, it's it's such a good it, it's one of those films like i went to cinema to see it and mm. i had it on dvd back when dvds yeah. were still a really big thing and i just loved the premise and i like the idea of of almost like the repetition i think for for grant and everything that he's going through just it it's it's the opposite of sarah it it things stays exactly the same for him but the horrors just change no matter what mm. he goes through he's right back to square one there's no real progressing for him but everything awful just keeps happening in this this one similar room but it was the mm. cube that that was the big inspiration for that like the idea of the traps obviously i don't have the traps in there but having to figure out what to do to progress yeah that's interesting because i i also wonder i don't know if you if you're a, a gamer at all but yeah it, a little bit because <laughs> that that to me it reminded me also of sort of video games and i was trying to think of some examples but like, <laughs> it definitely has that kind of because the only ones i can think of i know there's like um uh play a lot of vr horror games where they do quite often get games like it's one called chair a chair in a room which is a bit silent set, hill was what i was going for as well yes. i think it's silent yeah, yeah. hill four where silent it's hill, all yeah. done through through a room and that is yes yeah it's it, it's that sort of vibe almost like yeah. otherworldy kind of just it's not right and i can't get yeah. away from it yeah. sort of vibe that's that like what a, i was going for hmm. There's almost like a, a puzzle aspect to it where he gets into a new room and has to try and figure out Okay, what's different about this one? Yeah. What do I need to do to get out of it? And yeah, and that's that sort of you know, I think it sort of reminded me of, of, of games. I think that's where the, the, I guess the more kind of overt horror stuff happens. And I think it's in the near the beginning, or there's a scene with like a a creature kind of emerging out of a bed. That really, really uh, that to me was like. Uh, really reminded me of, of Hellraiser, the yeah, uh, the Clive Barker film, like the the sort of the, well, I guess but one and two, the, you sort of have the, the the Frank resurrection, kind of reminded me of that, but also the Julia in Hellraiser two coming out yeah. of the bed, sort of yeah, but yeah, I thought that was that that worked really well, but it's yeah, it's such a contrast to the to the you, that's what's really interesting about the as I was saying that you get these really sort of horrific but kind of domestic scenes, and then suddenly you're in this nightmare you still get a break really do you yeah, from the minute you start yeah. reading it i think that that was something i really wanted to to do especially with the grant stuff i am a, obviously a really big clive barker fan right yeah um yeah. so the, the creature was a bit of an almost like an homage to that grotesque stuff that he creates really mm. um even when i was writing it it's it's not the clearest of descriptions but it gives you enough that you can finish it yourself and yeah it kind of becomes your own version of this monster that's that's coming out of the bed but mm. it, it was very much a hellraiser inspired frank coming out the floorboards and julia coming out the mattress kind of moment for me 
Right, right. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, that yeah, I can definitely uh, see that. But uh, I think what's good is everything that happens. Everything that happens in that in those sequences does well. Certainly, when you get the, the another character turns up, I don't want to go too much into spoilers. But I did. Think, I was really clever how it all kind of came to, at the end. It all felt like. Oh, I get it. I get why that was there now. That was all the prologue of... makes a lot more sense. Yes, yeah, pro- yeah, when you yeah. because it's so tonally different. I think to mm. to a lot of the rest of the story that people are like, I don't really get the point of of the prologue until they get to to a certain point in the story. And then you kind of go, yeah. oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What are your kind of plans? Is is this part of setting up a a wider sort of world like no i i am nowhere nearly skilled enough right to, to create <laughs> my own i'd love to say that i am but there's, there's no way the, the i'm the book i'm working on at the moment i'm really fascinated with the idea of like older gods not lovecraftian but like right. mythological gods so mm. the kalich that that's in in the book i say she's a real deity she exists right. um, okay like there's a, there's a lot of the stuff that that's written about her later on is is true. It, it, I did mm-hmm. a lot of research on her, but I kind of wanted to give her my twist. The the book that I'm working on at the moment is about a sea god. I think it's another Celtic god. This one, but I've done a lot of reading up on him and the lore around him and twisted it to my idea of how mm. it would work in in a, my own kind. It's like a body horror I'm working on at the moment and how that would tie into that. So I'm not not so much a a shared universe but more like a, a common theme running yeah, through where yeah. you're almost helpless within the situation that you're stuck in for grant and sarah they're both helpless in their own ways for the characters in my new book they're they're helpless in right. very different ways but it's all under the eye of these these higher deities that are just watching over them for for their own entertainment more than anything else because it sort of again ties into Rose Matter in a way. In Rose Matter, there's the sort of, I guess, Greek kind of myths. Yeah. The background of it that um, that Rose becomes interested in, but 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 in that, it's less. There's definitely in in Books of Sarah, there's, there's a real kind of ambiguity as to whether this is good or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, that, that's, that's really interesting. That reaction is kind of what I wanted. Though, mm. That that's what I was going for. I I, I think. There's so much that quite clearly happens for the reader that you don't want to read that you mm. have to when it when it does when the the deity side of things slowly starts to come out it's you don't really know whether it's it's like you said it's good or bad it just it just is and mm. and a lot of the stuff I've read up especially on like a lot of the older like I, I was really into Greek mythology when I was younger and a lot of the stuff that happens just the gods just weren't really bothered it was just happening around them a lot of greek mythology right. is just oh look there's something happening because of something we did as as the greek gods and mm. that that's kind of tinged into what i'm doing with my new book and what i've done with sarah it's just there's this deity this is happening but this is the story that that's occurring kind of around around them and the people that believe in them one of the things that really struck me is that the dialogue scenes are really well written i thought in, in a way that, that even in something like Rose Maddow, it was like, I'm not sure this is how people actually speak sometimes. Whereas in yeah. Books of Sarah, there was de- like, I'm, I'm thinking there were two scenes in particular. One was the, the, the scene we've already t- talked about about the hairdresser. But there's also the scene where the first sort of coffee right. date. There was something about the way she talks about, well, no, the way she doesn't talk about what's happening to her, but also that people don't ask. Yeah, I thought that was really well done because it's that sort of how you would do it. Well, I think that, yeah. that's very realistic. It, it's, that's it, isn't it? it is, isn't it? Because I think 
I, the dialogue where was the one thing that I think I really struggled with, like as, as writing and as a writer. It's I worry a lot about writing dialogue because mm. for the exact reason you think like uh, there's books I've read you think people just don't talk like that at all that that's yeah. not how a yeah. conversation flows or you can kind of go oh well look there's a little bit of exposition and you're doing this whereas I think because I wanted to make sure that Sarah's story felt so grounded mm. I'd write mm. out the conversations and then I would sort of speak them aloud mm. and I, to make sure that it sounded like something that two people talking would actually sound like not oh here's plot point a and let me introduce plot point b because there's, there's some waffle in the conversations like there's there's a little bit of wittering but then yeah. it's in the wittering i think that you get the sense of the characters like when you're with your friends you can say so much with to your mates without actually saying a whole lot and they'll just know what yeah. what you're trying to get across to them and i thought with with Sarah, she's not somebody that gets to have a lot of conversation. So mm. I almost wanted her to be a little bit rusty at talking to people. Like, yeah, it, it yeah. helped the character move on because the only people she ever really got to speak to was her husband, and he's not big on the the, the chats of an evening. So when when especially on the first coffee date, I wanted it to have that kind of almost awkward first date that she should have had if she hadn't been with Michael, like this is, this is the kind of the person she would almost have been like right. thinking about what's her favorite cake. such a simple question, but mm. it turns out to be quite an important moment for her without having to, like she'd never been asked what her favorite anything is. And I think right. that that's it. It's that sense of her realizing she has an identity and almost she's allowed to have a favorite something and it, it, it just turns out that cake's what gets that, that kind of conversation going for her. That really comes across and, and works really well. I'm jumping around all over the place, but <laughs> there was something I meant to mention earlier. But I'm still fascinated by this idea, and I, I, we touched on it briefly before, but how these two, because where the two stories end up and how they're connected is really, uh, and I'm aware, I don't want to reveal too much, it's yeah. really clever. <laughs> and I sort of <laughs> Thank you. Like, <laughs> It works really well. Works really. It works really well. And I, how? What came first? I suppose was it the the story of Sarah, or was it the guy in the room, or was it that sort of moment at the end when the connection becomes clear? Is it, I'm trying to remember now. To be honest, I know that the story, the Sarah story, came first. Like that was mm. very much the I wanted. That was that this character that I was like, right, okay, because I think every writer's got you know the years. Well, I'm going to write a book, and that that's what I'm going to do. I actually had the prologue first the prologue started as a short story and i I, i'd had it for years and i'd I'd sort of tidied up and moved moved things around a little bit and i'd add the name of Mm -hmm. of the deity mentioned at the end of the prologue right and i hadn't done a lot of research at that point on on the deity and i started reading up and then i read you know like she's she's done this and she's that and the next thing and i thought oh okay and that sort of birthed the the idea of sarah and Mm -hmm. i thought that's so it's not the kind of horror that i would read i i like my monster books and i like like you mm-hmm. know my otherworldy horror kind of stuff yeah and i thought if i'm doing such a a real story i'd really like something to kind of offset it so i wrote chapter one with um with grant waking up in the room mm-hmm. and then i was like i don't really know where i'm going to go with this next and i thought right. well, what if it just stays there 
and uh, that that's right. literally what happens and especially the grant stuff the grant side that was almost harder for me to write than the sarah stuff because mm. with sarah i had a quite a clear idea of her start and end point mm. with the grant stuff i i kind of found that as i was as I was writing the story and as I was going back, like the first draft of, of the book was so dramatically different to mm. how the final draft came out. But I had to write it, I think, reread it and go, actually, do you know what? This might be a good idea to kind of change things up. Like the end was quite different. And it right. wasn't until I'd finished it that I thought I need a better ending. I need to I need to really mix it up. And then then I came up with the idea of the ending that I've actually got in in its place. Right, so the, right. the the Sarah stuff was was the the starting point, but it all kind of began with with Albert in the prologue and and his little story and how I wanted the it to kind of progress from from there from this awful pretty awful opening to be honest. Like that's kind of what made me ask the question about about whether it being being a sort of wider wider universe because that because yeah. the the prologue is kind of so uh and it works well because you kind of when connections from as you said when the connections from the prologue come into it it's it's really rewarding but and it's definitely you can tell it's kind of set in the same kind of world but the yeah. um prologue itself is such a fascinating story it almost reads like an epilogue it reads like the end of someone else's story yeah like um uh and like not in a bad way like it's it's sort of really it's really interesting because it you just come out of it full of questions and it's uh, quite a that, tone shift i think from the prologue to chapter one to book one for say i, I like mm. the idea i quite like the idea of of kind of stop and start and stop and start so that that when you're reading it you don't kind of get the main story at first it is just sort of drip feeding you these little bits especially with the end of the prologue being quite like a a visceral Mm. sudden ending to it and like you said it's not until quite a bit into the book that you start to to piece together why i had the prologue in there because i know prologues are something that can be quite but a lot of people don't like a prologue or so but i i quite like the idea of having like just this Here's a taste of what you're you're kind of going to get, but you don't know it yet. The, the, you know, now you've got a couple of pages of not awful stuff happening, but I've already pre-warned you. This right. is this is the level of of the story, really. Yeah, we talked to mentioned uh, talk Clive Barker a couple of times as well. Do you have a favourite kind of Clive Barker book? It's it's Weave World. I've I've even got like a a Weave World oh, no tattoo. Um, I've got a oh. Stephen King on one one and oh, like nice. a Clive Bar. I'm I'm that nerdy. Um, it's it's Weave World 100. percent It's set in Liverpool. I, yeah. I know I know the streets that he's talking about in the book, but as a story, it's just phenomenal. It's mm. it's that level of is it fantasy? Is it horror? monstrosity kind of thing that yeah, I just think he does really, really well. But yeah, Weave World 100%. It would be the Aberat series if he ever finishes it, to be honest. But he's only done, I think, three books and I've been waiting years for the next one. But yeah, yeah. absolutely. I love everything about Weave World, to be honest. I've read most of the stuff that he's done and he is. He's just a phenomenal, phenomenal writer. That When I was a kid, that was he was my kind of horror writer. Yeah. That is, like a starter with Books of Blood and then all the, yeah, all of his new, all this stuff I was, I was I used to read and um yeah we've all amazing um and I think the way he does that kind of fantasy is interesting comparing to Rose Madder in a way because when you look at the way Stephen King does that transition into the the fantasy world uh which works in the in the book 
but the way the Clive Barker does those fantasy worlds is just, it's just like nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's like, where does this come from? It's not like if you came up to me and went, I've got this brilliant fantasy book for you, I'd be like, oh no, I don't, I yeah, don't really yeah, read yeah, fantasy yeah. thanks. But if you gave me Clive Barker, like a magic over a thousand pages of just straight up fantasy, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I loved that, but yeah. I would never consider myself a fantasy fan. He yeah. just does something with it he just gives it like a almost like a weird tim burton feel to it but with mm. obviously like a lot more blood i i, I love yeah. i love his writing style and his comics have got the same sort of vibe to them as well right yeah and i i, I think there's there is this sort of and i think similar to the some of the stuff we discussed there is this kind of grounding in reality to it as well though like he was saying about it uh we world and the and um, being set in liverpool and things like that the, the, yeah the it's what i always love about odd about hellraiser the film is, is that there's something very recognizable about the characters and this you know and i mean i know they're kind of mess around with the location but it's it's there's something very british about it and kind yeah, of like it's sort of a bit evolving. grimy and 80s yeah. but like, I, yeah, I think like, I, I love don't get me wrong i think I'd, I'd be shot if i did not love the hellraiser films but mm. it, it it you can tell it's not american but it's oh trying. yeah yeah it, it is trying especially i think number two they don't quite know where they are to no, be the, no, 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 no. the world no idea at least yeah. number three embraced the american side of yes. side <laughs> of things but i think that's what i've always found fascinating about, about clive barker stuff is this and this again with the characters like the characters always feel like real people they're not kind of yeah they're not superheroes they're not kind of crazy kind of archetypes they they feel sort of unusual and grounded and and like it's i think that's it when you're reading a book for me especially if i'm reading the horror i don't i don't want like a two-dimensional i need the character to feel real to, to be able yeah. to go along with the story like i think that's why i like i loved rose rose rosie so much from rose matter because yeah, she feels very yeah. much like a real human being and yeah. as good a villain as he is norman feels fleshed out he is a real yeah. villain he did it with um dolores claiborne as well which right. is and it's if you've not seen the movie with Kathy Bates, it's highly recommended. But right. he literally wrote it for Kathy Bates, and mm-hmm. Dolores Claiborne is one of his best characters. There's no monsters. It's again, it's a, a sort of domestic abuse story that he's written. Right. But it, right. it's such a almost smaller story. It, it it really is just her and her husband in the book. But it's such a she's such a real fleshed out character that as the story progresses, you, you travel it along with her. Um, right. I think that's it with Clive Barker. You can give me a, a character with wings and six heads, but as long as mm. I, I believe that they're a real person, I'll 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 I'm, I'm along for the ride with that. Really. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 No, that's that that makes makes a lot of sense. I had one question. I don't even know if yeah. it would go in the podcast, but there's a bit where <laughs> there's a bit where you reference. When Sarah gets really into reading, she's going to the library, yeah. and you reference quite a few books that she reads. Yeah. And I think I've got most of them, but there's one that starts with a home invasion and then a woman on the run that you that's uh, That's Endless Night by Richard Lehman. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Yes. That book, honest to God, traumatised <laughs> me that even now, like 30 years later, I'm still finding ways to have it live in me subconscious. Yeah, it's um, it was Richard Lehman's Endless Night. That, that was what that one was. Kind of hinting at really, because 
Have you read it before? No, I've not read it. Oh, my God. It's awful. (laughs) It's absolutely. (laughs) I should not have read that when I was that young. This girl staying over and her best friends and a group of cannibals break into the house, kill the friend and she escapes. And then the rest of the book is her trying to deal with the horror of watching a whole family get massacred and then the secondary chapter is called simon says where it's one of the killers hunting her down talking into a dictaphone explaining how they got to the point where they're breaking into people's houses it's a brilliant brilliant book Right. But it is straight up traumatizing if you, when you're right. a teenager is when they're, they're going into great detail how they break into people's houses and right. it just yeah many many nightmares off that book to be honest. He's a good writer, Richard Layman. He is. I think he he's one of those that I caught him quite when I was quite young. So he's right. someone that's always been on my radar, but he doesn't seem to almost have like the following of Clive and Stephen King and some of the other big yeah. names, which is mad because his, his bibliography is huge. He has mm. churned out some books before he passed away. Right. They're just quite br- brutal horror books to be yeah. fair. Yeah, because I'd only, I'd only come across him recently talking to a friend and it was what we were talking about horror books and she mentioned, and I was, Richard Layman, I'd never really sort of come across him before, but I'll check yeah. that out. Like, I think, I think home invasions is the thing I'm probably scared, like in real life, oh, legit scared on, most of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, as much as I'm, I, I hate it. I you you give me a home invasion horror movie, I I will sit there. For right. Whole, yeah. I'd be genuinely yeah. terrified. Yeah. Um, but as an adult, it, it, it straight up terrifies me. Oh though. yeah, 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 yeah. Awful. Yeah, that's because it feels like that could happen. I mean, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Maybe <laughs> don't be endless night then. If it's I know. I probably. Yeah, yeah. There was the, there was this film I watched. It was it was a found footage film. I don't even think it got. I was reviewing it for something. I don't even think it got, got a major release. It was Star Crow or something. It was about. It's just it was like a found footage film. Films on mobiles about these kids, sort of having. Yeah relationship issues and stuff but then halfway through there's this home invasion bit where they're having a big party they're in this they live in this sort of well the parents have got this crazy house and there's this home invasion bit and this was like a couple of years ago i saw this film and it properly gave me nightmares in a way i haven't had nightmares about a film oh my god if you could send me the name of that i mean i i i am the biggest fan footage fan Ever. Oh, really? you you give me a shaky camera i will watch your film i love it anything found footage i am there i am I, and i will defend it to the hilt i will oh, watch that's... two hours of a movie for a 30 second flash fright scare at the end of the film i love me a found footage i really oh, really amazing. do and it, and it like i don't know what it, i think because it feels a bit more real when you're watching it especially when it's yeah and I, I, I'm not one of those. I don't even sit there like, oh my god, why are they filming this? I'm like, yes, keep filming this, yes, keep following. Yeah, 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 don't definitely. chase that sound. I want to see it. Yeah, and yeah. There's yeah. a great one called um, Exhibit A. I don't know if you've seen that. It's on Netflix at the moment. It's okay. on Netflix. Oh, it's, it's another one of those. You know, you're watching this whole film for like a ten minute bit at the end, but then the reveal makes you kind of go, oh. <gasps> brilliant worth worth the watch okay. and yeah g- give me it give me a shaky video camera any day of the week over any big blockbuster horror movie i i am sold on that i don't even care about your budget it's just right the one i really like that no one ever mentions is have you seen a film uh called mockingbird that sounds really familiar it's, it's like three people get given like a, a package arrives with a video camera in it 
and some instructions yeah and they all start one of them's a clown <laughs> no but that sounds like a sound let me just put that on my yeah uh, it's really good if you can down. find it it's really good it's by the i think it's by the guy speaking of uh, uh, home invasion i think it's by the guys of the strangers um oh, that was a cracking movie yeah 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 but that that's one bird. that's one i really liked the other one though which people do talk about is uh is lake mungo have you seen lake mungo yes that's yeah. a, an amazing that's film <laughs> yeah i i, I it, it's very rare because people seem to like to, to just shit all over pound footage yeah. films. yeah they do um, yeah. and it, it, it like I'll, I'll, especially on facebook people you, you can't have an opinion about a film that you like but yeah yeah you just hate on that then found footage is now and they're like oh i didn't think it was that bad like how yeah. on was a, a brilliant example Oh yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah, yeah. It's just done right to be yeah, fair. You, yeah, yeah. you don't need loads of budget or anything. Just give me mm. like creepy shadows. Uh, that that'll terrify the life out of me when I'm watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I love stuff like that. I love that Borderlands is is great and like yeah, you know, I, I, I think that's the thing. I've had so many arguments, with, well, not arguments, but like I've done, I've brought debates. it up so many times, yeah. <laughs> and then people are like, oh, I don't watch any fine footage films. And it's like very one ones. I really wanted to make what, like, and and I tried to pitch it to a few people, and people were just like, no, fan footage is is over, and and no one's going to make any fan. And you think it's such a shame that it kind of, I don't even know why it got such a bad reputation, but it sort of. Suddenly, so after I think after Paranormal Activity, where I, I guess it did go a bit crazy and yeah. there were a lot, but but then the most like again I'm the same. I found most of them quite good. <laughs> so, yeah, I me, me and me and Terry, my husband, we I I I'll admit as much. I'm sitting here like screaming me love for found footage. Hmm. Oh, I hated that first Paranormal Activity. I was like, it's rubbish, it's awful. <laughs> And then I blinked and it had eight sequels. I was like, oh, I'm not watching any of them. Yeah, and then yeah. during lockdown, well, I think we'd completed Amazon and Netflix. Right. And we, I was like, right, we need something to watch. And we watched one paranormal activity a night over oh, the course wow. of a week. And the story is brilliant. Like when you watch them quite close together, okay. it, it, it has this really clever overreaching storyline that if I'd gone mm. to cinema, I would never have picked up on it. It's because I literally watched them within a 24 hour right. period. But that was it. I'm suddenly like the biggest defender of the Paranormal Activity series right. now. Cause I'm like, Oh no, the story's really good. Yeah. Except the new one. The new one was a bit, the new one was definitely a bit rough. Okay. Like, yeah. Something of kin. It's called, it's, it's not great. Right, but I still right. watch sequels that come off of it. To be honest, right. okay. it's a shaky camera. I'm there. Okay, uh, just I guess just to finish things off, where well, where, where can people find you on on the internet? And, uh... Uh, I'm on obviously Facebook, uh, James Lefebvre, Twitter, Instagram. I've done the awful step onto TikTok, although most of my videos are literally videos of books. There's not a whole mm. lot of me rambling on on my TikTok, but. Just just type in my name into Google and and I'll come up on, on pretty much all the social media. I'm pretty active on them all as well. I love, as you can tell, speaking to people. So right, I'm cool. always happy to chat to anybody if they want to hit me up on, on social media. So that was James Lefebvre talking about Rose Madder and also his book, Books of Sarah. Um, I'll link to uh, James's book. There's a few places you can get it. I think it's on Amazon. It's definitely on Amazon and on Godless as well. Um, so I'll put the links to that in the description 
it's, it's definitely one I recommend. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think probably from the again listening back to the edit, uh, I think I, I think I sort of uh, talked a bit about how much I enjoyed the book in the in the episode. So take that as a as a genuine recommendation. I did think it was really, um, yeah, it's, it's quite a dark book. It, it definitely, if you were into kind of dark horror, then it's it's definitely worth checking out. And so uh, yes, yeah, so I'll put a link to that. So I mentioned in the just just to wrap things up because uh, we we briefly mentioned the film Star of Crow, which doesn't seem to have ever come out, and I'm not even sure I'd recommend watching it. Uh, I'll put a link to the review. This is kind of like a backdoor way of linking to my own stuff again because I reviewed it as when I was doing my own found footage project, and and so I'm going to link to the review I wrote in character as uh, as part of that project and then if you want to pull on that thread you're welcome to <laughs> but um, there you go and uh, yes yeah, so I'll see you in a couple of weeks with the next episode thanks very much for listening goodbye <laughs>